never know what it is to become the perfect version of ourselves. This is Decoding Superhuman with your host, Boomer Anderson. Superhumans, it's Boomer Anderson, and we're back with another episode of the Decoding Superhuman podcast. Today's topic is a topic that I've wanted to do a deep dive on for a very long time. But before we get into that, this week I'm en route to Riga, Latvia for the Baltic's largest biohacking conference, April 26th and 27th. If you want to join me, tickets are over at biohacking.lv, but you can also purchase the videos afterwards and see people like Temu Arena, Simland, Peter Yostin, all have been former podcast guests, as well as myself, speaking about topics in and related to longevity. It's going to be a great time. But today's topic is, like I said, something I've wanted to do a deep dive on for a very, very long time. And the topic is heart rate variability, or HRV, as I'll probably refer to it going forward. But my guest today is an expert on the topic, and in fact, he's created a program that I use almost every morning. Jason Moore is the director and instructor of the National Academy of Sports Medicine and National Strength and Conditioning Association's accredited coursework on heart rate variability. He's also the founder of Elite HRV, which is that app that I use every morning, and it's the most widely used free HRV analysis tool. Jason holds a bachelor's degree in information systems from Texas A&M University and has been invited to speak about his work at so many conferences and venues, including SOCOM and IHMC, the Scottish High Performance Sports Forum, the Biohackers Panel at PaleoFX, Identifying Nutrition Plans That Work, which is another PaleoFX panel. Over the past five years, Jason has reached and used HRV technology through active collaboration with professional athletes, doctors, first responders, and thousands of health and performance seekers. Via this network, he is continuously exposed to the latest scientific research methods for making the best use of HRV and other biomarkers. If there's one biomarker that I actually use on a day-to-day basis and I think is sort of my go-to biomarker, it's HRV. So what did we get into in this podcast? We talked about what is heart rate variability, why monitoring HRV is important, reference ranges and why it's dangerous to compare yourself when it comes to HRV versus broader populations, and really how we can start training HRV to build things like a personal interest, anti-fragility. The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash elite HRV. Enjoy my episode with Jason Moore. All right, the sponsor for today's podcast is a member of the toolkit that I use on an almost daily basis to upgrade my state of being and have used it actually for the past couple of years. The guys over at Neurohacker Collective have done a fantastic job. You've heard me rave about the original stack as well as Qualia Mind on the show. But now I'm so excited because the suite of products has grown. You have Qualia Focus for that near-term bump. You have Qualia Mind Caffeine Free for all my caffeine-sensitive listeners out there. But their latest product, which just came out, is oh so exciting. It's called Eternus, and it's a 38-ingredient formula containing the most researched and premium ingredients on Earth for supporting cellular health. This is key to combating the symptoms of aging. If you want to check out Eternus, Qualia Mind, Focus, or any of the Neurohacker products, go over to neurohacker.com and plug in the code BOOMER. You'll get an additional 15% off your order. Enjoy. All right, all right. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, appreciate it. Thanks for reaching out and, uh, you know, happy to connect through our mutual friends, uh, Dan and Micra, and um, looking forward to sharing whatever I can. So I'm actually embarrassed. I didn't reach out when I was in Asheville about a month ago. And I was talking to a mutual friend of ours, Chuck Hazard over at Aura, and he mentioned that you were in Asheville. And I think the next time I'm in town, we're going to have to make something happen. Definitely. So Jason, I, I wanted to have you on because if there's one biomarker uh, I'm obsessed with taking every day, it's heart rate variability. 
and we haven't yet done a deep dive on this particular subject. And in order to begin, do you mind just defining heart rate variability for us? Yeah, sure. So, you know, people definitely have heard of heart rate before. So that's two out of the three words down. But what heart rate variability looks at is tiny changes in your heart rate over time. And we're talking about millisecond changes between each beat. And there's specific statistical calculations you can do on those intervals. They're called interbeat intervals that give you values that are called heart rate variability. Why is that uh, important? Because many different systems in the body are connected to the heart, especially the nervous system, the respiratory systems, things like that. And uh, the nervous system specifically is what we're really interested in that causes heart rate to increase and decrease between every single beat. So those interbeat intervals can change actually between every beat. If your heart's beating at uh, 60 beats per minute, it's not actually once per second like a metronome. It's actually more like 0.98 uh, seconds, 1.01 seconds, you know, 1.2 seconds, something like that, and it'll fluctuate up and down. Most uh, products or, or heart rate devices, rather, just kind of smooth all that out and say, okay, you're getting 60 beats per minute. Um, but we're really interested in looking at those tiny variations and learning uh, how the other systems in the body are influencing the heart, causing this phenomenon called heart rate variability. Thank you for this, Jason. Do you mind going into the day-to-day -day environmental influences on heart rate variability? Yeah, so HRV, kind of one of the big interests in HRV, stems from the fact that the nervous system plays a huge role in it. So specifically the autonomic nervous system, which is a branch of the nervous system that's responsible for your body's automatic responses. It's kind of a nice name to remember it that way. Um, it's like your automatic nervous system, so to speak. But it's it helps your body respond to stress and uh, recovery from stress from many different sources, including physical stress like exercise, environmental stress like air quality, water quality, food quality, and uh, that also leads to kind of di digestive and nutrition stress. And, you know, the internal and external environment, I kind of think, are two sides of the same coin, so to speak. And then you have psychological side of the equation. So even our emotions and our relationships and things that we're worrying about can affect our heart rate. And uh, that's through the nervous system typically. And so then there's also things that are a little bit more mechanical like our breathing patterns. So when you inhale, typically your heart rate increases. And when you exhale, it typically decreases. And so that's also playing a role in heart rate variability, and then also your blood pressure, uh, which is also related to respiration as well. You have what's called a baroreceptor reflex, which we don't have to dive too deep into, but essentially when blood pressure increases, your body responds by decreasing your heart rate uh, so that the blood pressure will decrease. It's one of the methods that your blood pressure kind of self-regulates is increasing and decreasing heart rate. And all of this is kind of always at play between every single beat. It's always adjusting. And the nervous system itself plays a key role in all of that. And the neat thing, like you were saying, is uh, then since we're able to measure that with heart rate variability, we can start to see what the impact is of changes in our environment or changes in our um, you know, exercise or changes in our sleep, changes in our nutrition, and see how those affect our body kind of on a systemic level. All right. So I've often thought of HRV as the one biomarker that I look towards every day. But before we get into that, I want to talk about measurement, specifically how to measure HRV and the devices that we should use. Actually, let's go into devices. What devices do you recommend for measuring HRV? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's goal dependent. So, um, you know, our app is free and it, you don't have to use our, our hardware. Uh, so if you have like a polar type chest strap, 
lying around somewhere, which many people who have been into sports or athletic training may have one of those, then as long as it's got Bluetooth, you can pair it with your phone into our free app and just start going and measuring. You don't really need anything else. Um, so that's a great option. That's how a lot of people get started. And um, we make a core, our device is called the CoreSense. And basically uh, the feedback we were getting, because originally we just had our app that we use the chest strap with most people, because with HRV you need a high degree of accuracy. So that's why we can't use something like a Fitbit, you know, today as of the time of this recording. <laughs> um Sorry, Fitbit. Yeah, sorry, Fitbit, and um, and other types of wrist wearables that are not like really tuned to measure accurate HRV. Uh, so that's why we were always with the chest strap. But the main feedback we got was, oh, the data is so cool, but I really don't like wrapping this wet strap around my chest first thing in the morning, which is when most people take their readings. And uh, so we came out with CoreSense to make that easier for people, really. And so that's accurate HRV from your fingertip. So you just clip it on the end of your finger. It's intended for short snapshot readings that are hyper-focused on accurate HRV. So those are some options. Um, some people like to measure like 24-7, for example. There aren't any wearables that can accurately measure 24-7 HRV at this time uh, that I'm aware of. But uh, that is outside of adhesives. So... There's products like First Beat, where you can order a First Beat and stick it. There's two leads that you stick to your chest that are connected by a wire, and they're adhesives um, that are stuck onto your chest, and you wear it 24-7 for two or three days, and then you send it in and get a report back, and they show you kind of what activity was happening during those two or three days. So maybe a little later we can talk about why you would want to measure 24 hours versus why you would only want to measure for maybe as short as 60 seconds. Um, But those are kind of the spectrum of devices. So if you don't mind, I actually want to double click on that for a second. And let's go into why one would want to measure, let's say, first thing in the morning for two minutes, 30 seconds or whatever it is versus measuring for 24 hours. Yeah, it's a good question. So you know, someday it might be easy and convenient for uh, 24-hour measurements to happen on an ongoing basis, and then also for the automated analysis of all of that data coming in, right? So um, basically, in general, when you're tracking data about anything, it's always a cost-benefit to tracking more data or less data, and because your more data means more cleanup, more data means more analysis time, It's kind of like taking a thousand photos on a vacation and then never going back and looking at any of them, right? And so uh, what we've kind of aimed to do is try to figure out which situations does it make the most sense to measure more. Um, I think that it's a really cool starting point to measure like a 24-hour, maybe for one or two days, just to kind of get an idea of what things throughout those days are really affecting you kind of acutely. So like I've done a a 24-7 analysis on myself for several days, multiple times, and things that I learned from doing that were that uh, my body really relaxes really well when I drink tea. And so I was taking like a journal alongside of that measurement to see what I was doing each hour throughout the day, right? And uh, so that was kind of neat for me to know. I kind of already knew that a little bit as well, because that's why I drink drink tea to begin with. But um, you can learn a little bit of things like that. You can maybe even dive into different sleep phases and things a little bit more in detail. But it's kind of hard to uh, do that on an ongoing basis all the time, especially logistically. Having adhesives stuck to your chest all the time is not the most uh, convenient thing. It's also really good for studies if people are doing it from like a research perspective and they have a team of people who are analyzing and cleaning all of that data. Um, On the other end of the spectrum, you have really short readings. So there's been research that shows as little as 60 seconds of uh, HRV measurement can be very meaningful. And if you just do that once, though, 
a 60-second reading could be kind of misleading in a way. For example, if you take one 60-second reading and you were just really stressed out from commuting or traffic or maybe you've never taken a reading before, you're kind of nervous, that can actually impact the score. Versus if you're able to easily take these short readings, I usually recommend two minutes, uh, two and a half minutes as a good sample size of data without getting too bored or fidgety uh, in, in practice. But if you're able to do that really easily and accurately on an ongoing basis, then you can start to do what we, which was what we recommend, is to take a reading once per morning, right when you get up, and you start to develop this longitudinal trend, which is representative of your baseline over time. And so the neat thing is your circadian rhythm, 24 hours throughout the day, your body has natural patterns of hormonal fluctuations and natural patterns of uh, cortisol release and things like that that kind of help you perform well throughout the day and then help you sleep well and recover throughout the night, ideally. Although many people kind of struggle with that rhythm, but there is still that 24-hour rhythm that all of us are designed to have. And so by measuring at the same time roughly each day, first thing in the morning, you haven't had too much stress yet, uh, at least uh, you haven't been able to go out and experience it out in the world yet. If you wake up stressed, that's a different thing. But um, Then you have some other issues to deal with first. Right, and actually that too can play out in your HRV values if you have chronic stress problems. And so that's what kind of becomes neat is you eliminate some of these variables in the readings, so you create a little bit of consistency in your uh, measurement pattern, and then those short snapshots can become representative of your personal baseline of stress and recovery over time. And so it only takes two minutes. It's very easy to do, and doing it first thing in the morning is like, it has a lot of other benefits too because people often jump out of bed like we're, you know, launching into their day without taking a moment to kind of think inwardly and reflect upon their own situation, their life, what's good for you today, what can you handle today. So there's a lot of kind of softer benefits of it, so to speak. But then you also get this hard data each morning that says, okay, here's where I'm at for my baseline. I can handle more stress today, maybe or maybe not, uh, you know, depending on if you're, what your goals are, there's a lot of decisions you can make there. But the key is being able to take those snapshot readings on, a, on an ongoing basis easily and conveniently gives you a lot of decision-making power without having to uh, track ongoing and deal with uh, devices all day and all night. And so that's kind of the two ends of the spectrum. Sort of in, in between is kind of that five to 20 minute range that people use often for biofeedback. And so HRV responds almost instantly to changes in your nervous system and changes in your breathing patterns and changes in your stress levels. So uh, that again highlights the importance of kind of creating that routine for those morning baseline readings. But then at the same time, you can use it to measure for like five, 15, 20 minutes, whatever you think is doable for you and do things like meditation or mindfulness or breathing patterns that can re, uh, reset your nervous system, so to speak, and at least cause an acute change in your HRV. Um, some people, there's a lot of good anecdotal evidence showing that there's a lasting effect of that, um, but we're still kind of exploring the research on on how to quantify that lasting effect. But so one thing I've come to realize is that whether it's my WHOOP, my Aura, my Elite HRV, when I measure it in the morning, the numbers are all different. Do you mind going into exactly why that is? Yeah. So um, earlier in the conversation, people might have caught me saying that there's a lot of different statistical values that fall under the term HRV, right? And so... When you get these inner beat intervals, which is those times between each beat, are, yeah, and uh, then you can run various statistical calculations, like you can look at the standard deviation of those intervals, or you can look at a root mean square. And for most folks, don't worry about like 
how those let's open up the statistics textbook that's right that's right yeah and uh you know it's not the good news is um software does all of this these calculations for you now um, so you don't need to memorize them or how they actually work if you're fascinated by them you can do some googling and uh, see what they are but uh, and like you said in our course we actually outline what some of those are and show you the formulas if you're really interested in them um, but yeah, there's other ones too where you can convert that time series of data into a frequency domain value as well. So uh, the uh, easier kind of analogy or example of when that happens is also in audio signals. So if you're converting audio signals from like digital to analog or something like that, they use similar uh, transformations. They're called Fourier transforms. But Anyways, all of these different things kind of fall under this term HRV or heart rate variability. So uh, some of them are standardized in the research and some of them are proprietary scores that various apps or products produce, right? And so, for example, our app produces an HRV score that's proprietary to Elite HRV, but essentially it's built on top of those research standard calculations, specifically that RMSSD or that root mean square calculation. So that's kind of provides the foundation for our HRV score. Um, So when you're looking at different apps and you see different scores, a lot of times it's just how they choose to layer on their own interpretation of one of the research-based statistics. I don't know the algorithms for all the apps, so I can't say exactly how they come about or, or if they're including other data. Uh, some apps uh, change it based on your sleep data and not just your HRV, for example. Um, so there's probably some other things going on underneath the hood. But uh, if you want to compare between apps and you get access to some of those uh, kind of more raw statistics is kind of how I describe them, those are the values that you should compare between apps. So if you see an RMSSD, that's a pretty research standard calculation of HRV. You should be able to compare RMSSD between apps. Um, But the one caveat is your duration of your reading and your timing of your reading will affect that value. So if one reading is uh, an hour long, or, uh, and another is five minutes long, those you, you can get a score out of both of those readings, but those two scores are not necessarily comparable because throughout that hour you're experiencing a lot of different things than you were in that five minutes. Um, so there's a lot of context and controversy and trickiness to how to, to compare things between systems, but generally what I tell people is, Um, finding a system that works well for you and doing some introspection as well, kind of keeping tabs on, okay, what are your goals, right? And if you're tracking and and monitoring and tailoring with this app, is that helping you reach your goals better, right? If it is, then generally (laughs) that's a positive thing, and I would recommend sticking with that for a while, even if it's not our app, right? Because when we get into this situation where we're comparing different algorithms and different apps, um, it becomes a little tricky. It's it's doable, but it becomes a little tricky. Um, And then one way that you can kind of test is if you can measure simultaneously at the same time for the same amount of time, you should be able to compare the statistics between apps, and they should be almost one-to-one. Okay, so... So a few key takeaways for people here, like the reference range is, or I guess when you're building your, I I think you used the word longitudinal data Mm -hmm. earlier, when you're building that, that is particular to you, Mm -hmm. right? Meaning that you and I may have very different data numbers, but what we should be paying attention to is that, that data set in, in the context of ourself, Um, said another way, I'm in a lot of these Facebook groups and I'm sure you are too, where somebody posts like, Hey, I have an HRV of 80 today, or I have an HRV of 40 today. 
and that really does shouldn't shouldn't matter to anybody in that Facebook group, right? Because it's not theirs. Do I have that right? Yeah, and it it matters a little bit, but um, essentially, like what we're trying to do here is to see, okay, when you take one reading or you have one score, it is kind of nice to know where on the spectrum you lie, right? And so. There's a little bit of genetic variation to take into account. There's there's a lot of situational variation to take into account. But generally, um, HRV, for example, is very correlated with biological age. So uh, typically, biological age is kind of for people who eat well and exercise and do that type of and have a lot of good social interactions, their biological age stays lower as they age through time. Um, and then people who maybe like have excessive smoking and drinking, have a high stress job and don't move much or go outside much, typically they'll age faster than their age, right? So HRV kind of correlates. It'll be lower for those stressed out people and higher for those more kind of uh, youthful people. And so when you're measuring HRV, it's kind of nice to know, okay, where on the spectrum am I for, for that goal or for other goals that has other things that it relates to too. But if you're extremely low on the spectrum, then there might be some things going on underneath the surface that you want to address, or maybe things that you're already aware of that you want to address. And now you have a tool to measure your progress going up, right? And so if your HRV is pretty high or about average, then you may still have goals that you want to improve, but at least you can kind of know that your general set point is not extremely low, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of nice to know where you're starting. But again, like I said, there's genetic variation, there's other things. So getting ex- obsessed with the exact pl- point that you are on that scale is usually not a beneficial exercise for most people. Um, like, for example, I have a really low resting heart rate naturally. So even when I'm more aerobically fit or less aerobically fit, my heart rate is almost always low. And so people are like, oh, wow, when you're sitting down, you, you know, your heart rate goes into the 40s and uh, you must be extremely fit. And I'm like, no, it's just actually kind of genetic for me. And so that anyways, coming back to what your question was about the relative versus that absolute is once you know where your starting point is generally, then it's much more beneficial to pay attention to where you are relative to yourself. Mm -hmm. And this goes for HRV as much as it goes for almost any goal-related thing that you're tracking. So, for example, if you're trying to improve your back squat or something like that, well, if anyone has ever started out on back squatting, you're going to be way below people who have done it even for six months, right? So... Uh, an intermediate back squatter is generally going to squat way more than a beginner. And if you look at that intermediate person, you're going to say, wow, I'm terrible. But uh, that's not really beneficial. What's beneficial is, okay, last week I back squatted, you know, 100 pounds or whatever the person starting out does. This week I'm going to try 110 pounds and then, oh, I could do it. Great. I've made a 10% improvement since last week, right? That's pretty motivating compared to saying, okay, I'm up to 110. Oh crap, I'm still 200 pounds below my friend who's been doing this for uh, a year or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of coming back to HRV. Comparing you to yourself over time is a lot more beneficial towards making progress in your goals. And that's why we really focus on that. And that's that comes back to measuring each morning comparing that score to your baseline, which our app does automatically for you and gives you kind of a green, yellow, red to say, hey, great, you're kind of moving in a positive direction for you personally as an individual. Um, Or maybe today you're kind of out of balance uh, compared to your norm. So you might want to take it easy or uh, prioritize some recovery strategies and things like that. Mm -hmm. So a couple of quick questions based on things you saw, said because the correlation between HRV and biological age is, is fascinating and it does make sense fundamentally. Uh, do you know what they measured for biological age in that? 
uh, in the comparisons. Yeah. Um, there's been a number of different studies on that. So uh, I know like measuring aging is, is a fairly kind of controversial. Uh, yeah, you uh, can do telomeres, you can do Horvath's clock, you can right. do maximum heart rate. Like there's there's so many different ways you can come up with biological age, which is why I asked. Yeah, there's been multiple different studies on that, uh, correlating it there. And the neat thing about it is that um, across the studies that used like telomeres and different other factors, even subjective ratings um, based on questionnaires and things like that, or analyzing just uh, fitness levels or lifestyle behavior patterns, is that HRV in general correlated very strongly with almost all of them. Mm-hmm. And it's a, one of the easier things to measure. So that's why now HRV is starting to become the kind of benchmark for biological age. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much so that there was a, a prize out there. It's called the Palo Alto Prize. And uh, it's I think it's going right now full speed. Um, but it's a million dollar prize for teams competing uh it's backed by like harvard stanford and all these uh groups and the they're competing to reverse or reduce aging through whatever means and the uh, at least five hundred thousand dollars of that prize is determined on just by improving hrv wow wow that's incredible i hope you're entering um, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately I don't have time to, uh, <laughs> compete in the competition, but, uh, we do have an advantage in the, in the fact that, uh, measuring HRV is a uh, pretty straightforward for us, oh, but it's, it's... I, I almost, uh, in the background kind of have this, uh, want in a way that the, the team that wins is just like, uh, follow this, uh, better eating plan exercise and like get good sleep and then they just win by like improving everyone's HRV mm-hmm. that way mm-hmm. over trying to do it like by a drug or by some type of technological implant in your body or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. I think I think that plan is a lot more sustainable long term too. But coming back to just general HRV data, is there any sort of number or range where you can say like, this is too low and maybe warrant a little bit more of a, of an investigation underneath the hood? Because, uh, just to share my own story, when I got into HRV and this stuff, my HRV was just very, very low. I had a heart condition, so it kind of made sense, but for, is there any sort of literature out there that says if you have an HRV number of X or below, there may be some sort of dysfunction there. There's not, there isn't that for population-wide recommendations, mm-hmm. but there there is that for subpopulations for basically people who are looking at specific conditions. For example, one example is HRV kind of had a popular use case of predicting heart attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, in hospital settings. But when you say that, it's like, okay, shouldn't we all be monitoring this all the time? Well, no, because that research was done on people who had just had a heart attack. Mm -hmm. So for for anyone who's had a heart attack, HRV is a strong predictor of another heart attack within the next 24 hours. And so it's very popular in hospital settings to monitor HRV in real time using the full ECG machines to predict a heart attack, right? So, and and that again kind of just brings back to your question is it's all about context in a way. And so I would generally say that if you're looking at uh, demographic norms, that if you're like 10 to 20% below your demographic norm for your age and gender, that that might be a red flag to kind of just look into something. It doesn't necessarily mean it's an emergency um, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't mean you're going to have a heart attack or anything yeah. like that, right? Um, it just means that there might be something going on underneath the surface that you need to address still. And But there aren't any population-wide thresholds that are established. Uh, I would say personally that I don't like to see anything on our app that's below in the 30s or below. Mm-hmm. And we do have a number of folks who fall into that range, and, and I'm not speaking down upon those people or anything, but uh, 
it would be my goal if I were those individuals to try to get up a little higher than that. Mm -hmm. And that's not always achievable for everyone based on, like you said, certain conditions that you have. Um, If you've had like a traumatic injury uh, or something like that, then it'll be really hard to get HRV up from that range. But that's what I would be looking at. Mm-hmm. And so on the the demographic norms front, I think you guys published something maybe a year ago, or it's been a while, but is there easily accessible demographic norms for people to reference? Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. It's on our website. It's actually one of the most popular posts that we've posted that um, people look at. And I can send you the link and we can post it somewhere. Um, oh. But it we'll gives put in, you- we're going to put it in the show notes because this is this is a question that I get a lot. I'm sure you get a lot. Like, what is normal for HRV, right? Yep. And um, this would be very useful for people. Yeah, it's you know, it's uh, the number of studies that are done on HRV now. There's over twenty thousand peer-reviewed studies that have been done on HRV, and the reason why is because it's it correlates so strongly with so many things. So um, that's a pro and a con, <laughs> but it, but in general is starting to be seen as kind of the most comprehensive biomarker for health that you can measure from home, Mm -hmm. which is really powerful. And that brings you back to, okay, well, if I can measure this and it's pretty comprehensive marker for my health status, then am I normal? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Or, you know, where do I fall? So that's why we put that post together. It's not a medical reference range, so it's not to diagnose conditions or do anything like that, but it's to give you an idea just give you information about yourself and uh, then work with a qualified practitioner or a coach or somebody to help you improve that. But yeah, it's, it's a popular question and there are good reference ranges that are available. Mm -hmm. And you've kind of hinted at this and I haven't, I haven't hit you on it yet, but I'm going to right now. HRV is trainable, right? Mm -hmm. And so Let's go down this route. How can people start to, let's say I have an HRV of, you know, just pick any number, 50. How do I take it from 50 to 100? Because we have a lot of people here that are going to probably look at it. And first, a lot of people listening measure things. But also when they look at it, they're going to say, how do I improve this? And then what does it mean for me as I'm improving it? And if you don't mind just touching on the vagus nerve a little bit more on that one too. Sure. Yeah, great. So there's many ways that you can improve HRV. Uh, It depends on the context of your situation, but some really key ones that people uh, use really effectively. One is uh, increasing your aerobic fitness. Mm -hmm. So if you're uh, very aerobically fit, typically your HRV is going to be much higher. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of other benefits to being aerobically fit. Um, It's just more efficient from an energy utilization standpoint. Typically, aerobically fit people are also more motivated, more able to overcome and be resilient to other things. Uh, so that's one way. So all, all of the power lifters like myself are kind of kind of screwed in that sense? No, not necessarily. <laughs> so it's aerobically fit is a relative term too. Yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to be a marathon runner or something like that, right? Um, in fact, there's, uh, there are, is downside to that side of the equation as well. Um, a lot of times endurance athletes who are very aerobically fit have other issues, but if they're measuring HRV, those issues can be masked by that aerobic fitness. So their HRV could be in the normal reference range, but they're out running ultra marathons. Their HRV should actually be 10 to 20% higher than the reference range if they're both healthy and aerobically uh, uh elite like that. And so a power lifter uh, can be aerobically fit as well. And it doesn't mean, yeah, like you don't have to do sustained cardio for hours a day or anything like that. Um, Just moving around and exercising is going to get you uh, way above the average sedentary person in aerobic fitness. And plus, I think you can appreciate um, there is definitely an aerobic component to the recovery uh, from powerlifting events, and obviously, uh, you know you're going to be having elevated heart rate and breathing long after that one rep max uh, that 
plays out in some increased aerobic fitness as well. So, um, but yeah, so that's one way. Another way is to just reduce inflammation in the body. So HRV and inflammation kind of are inversely correlated. The more inflammation that you have in the body, the lower your HRV is typically. And so uh, inflammation comes from a number of sources, your environment, your food choices, um, you know, injuries, other types of things can create inflammation. So either eating anti-inflammatory foods or removing inflammatory foods from your diet, uh, kind of getting out of a, a highly polluted area might help. And so those are other methods. Um, then um, breathing, meditation, stress, the, these kind of all end up getting put into a bucket because it's different for different people mm-hmm. on which of them is most effective. But uh, the respiratory system is an extremely important system, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it also is important for that aerobic fitness and other things. But a lot of us, when we experience stress, end up uh, closing off some of our breathing um, by having poor posture or uh, shallow breath and, uh, and or holding tension in our abdomen or our chest in different areas. That, are, that can also come from insufficient movement complexity. So basically, if you're only moving in really short ranges of motion and then also in not very diverse ranges of motion, your body kind of adapts to that pattern and becomes more tight and then there's less room for you to breathe into different areas of your body. And so doing exercises like diaphragmatic breathing, where you're trying to really expand your abdomen, use that diaphragm, which kind of pulls like a plunger down on your lungs um, and is above, it's, uh, it's in the upper part of your abdomen, uh, and then expanding the chest in different ways. These, these all act as uh, stretches and mobility exercises as well for your body if you're not used to accessing those ranges. But then it also has an immediate impact on the nervous system which activates that parasympathetic side of the nervous system that we haven't talked about the branches too much yet. Um, And that causes HRV to go up, typically. And so that's an acute way to elevate your HRV. It's also an acute way to lower your heart rate and to reduce your stress in the moment, which that's kind of where it leads to the more lasting effects of, of increasing HRV over time. Um, is when you're able to integrate those practices into stressful life events. Mm-hmm. Um, but so those are a few key ways. The vagus nerve, which you brought up, is a really interesting nerve that could have it has whole books written about it actually. Yeah. Um, but essentially, it's the tenth cranial nerve. It comes down, and it's called the wandering nerve because this single nerve actually innervates a lot of. Your body. It, it reaches many uh, things in the body, the heart being one, and it, it talks to the digestive system, it talks to your respiratory system. It's a really interesting nerve. Um, and there's whole companies built around a concept called vagus nerve stimulation. And essentially what you're doing here is when, when the vagus nerve is activated, when it's sending signals actively, your body has, uh, which increases its tone. That's another thing you might have heard of is vagus nerve tone. Um, Your body tends to exhibit more parasympathetic activity again, which is this rest and digest kind of restorative activity. And so in our modern worlds, I guess let's go ahead and tackle these two branches of the nervous system. Let's let's go deep. All right. (laughs) So earlier I talked about the autonomic nervous system that automatic nervous system that controls heart rate or influences heart rate, blood pressure, blood sugar, pupil dilation, sweat, sexual function, digestion, all of these things that you don't have to think about. That autonomic nervous system plays a huge role in that. Well, there's two branches there. One is the sympathetic branch and the other is the parasympathetic branch. And those two branches respond to Stress on one hand, so that sympathetic branch typically responds to stress with the fight-or-flight response, so elevates your heart rate, uh, elevates your blood sugar, uh, increases, dilates your pupils, 
um, gets you ready for action, basically. And then the parasympathetic side of it is the more rest and digest. It calms you down. It uh, helps you digest your food. It helps you have sexual function. It lowers your heart rate, kind of chills you out so that you can rebuild for that next stress event and be ready for it, right? Mm -hmm. There's also a freeze response to stress, so fight, flight, and freeze, but that one is a little bit uh, more nuanced. So Mm -hmm. the fight or flight system is designed to be an acute response. So you're supposed to be able to respond quickly to stress, like when you exercise, you elevate your heart rate, and then when you stop exercising, your heart rate should go down again, right? If your heart rate just keeps beating at 150 beats per minute for an hour after you exercise, that's not very efficient. Your body's wasting a lot of energy because there's no threat to respond to at that time, right? And most people could understand that that wouldn't be beneficial. There are some elite athlete events where that happens to elite athletes. That's a totally separate uh, conversation, and Mm -hmm. that's like the 0.01% of of situations, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But... The problem is in today's world, we have a lot of kind of chronic and accumulated stress from many different sources. So we have environmental stress that that our bodies aren't designed to handle. We have food that our bodies weren't designed to eat. We have have to worry about our finances. We have social relationships that exist over screens, which our bodies were not meant to kind of really digest in the same way as in-person interactions. So there's a lot of different stresses that are new to us from an evolutionary perspective and thus cause a little bit of an elevated stress response all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say everybody's going through this, and it's not to say that stress is bad, because stress is key to life, actually. If you don't exercise your muscles, they disappear, essentially, right? And Mm -hmm. exercise is a stress. But... Anyways, the chronic elevated stress that we sometimes experience kind of breaks down our body in a way because it's constantly depleting resources and not allowing that parasympathetic rest and digest to rebuild us effectively. And so coming back all the way around to the vagus nerve, it's beneficial to activate that parasympathetic side of our nervous system whenever we can because it's going to rebuild, help us rebuild and restore and get ready to handle more challenges in the future. And um, so doing vagus nerve stimulation, there's devices that do that. There's other ways you can do that. Changing your breathing patterns is one. Um, actually, uh, uh, singing and vibrations in your throat can is another way to stimulate the vagus nerve. So humming like mmm and some of those like Gregorian chant type uh, things uh, can actually stimulate the vagus nerve and cause an increase in parasympathetic activity. So um, talking, I like to hear my own voice. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But um, having social interactions and things like that can also help. Um, But singing is another big way to do it. Um, There's other things too, like massage therapy, Um, hot, cold contrast therapy for uh, temperature changes, Mm -hmm. like cold showers and things like that, stimulate the nervous system in different ways. Um, And so the the list kind of goes on. Yeah, one of my favorites is gargling water, actually. Mm, I mean, it's a similar principle to Mm -hmm. to just humming, which, by the way, if you would have come on a couple minutes early before we started, you know, I was humming here, just, just dancing around humming, working on that vagal tone. But, uh, this is, this is fantastic, Jason. So on the HRV front, just, if we can just sum up for people, because I know we've covered a lot here and, you know, I think the important thing is first, you know, start tracking it. And we've given people some tips on how to track that and build that data set. And first, and then from there, kind of, we'll link to the the post on your website about the reference ranges, but also make sure that you're kind of comparing it versus yourself. Mm-hmm. And then based on that, you can start to make very strategic decisions. I don't know about you, but I use it to plan out my workouts during the day. Are there other things that we can use where our HRV is in the morning for? Definitely. Yeah. 
exercise is a great example because it's pretty easy for everyone to relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, exercise is a stress on the body, but it's a beneficial stress that causes us to improve and get more fit and, you know, things like that. So, but it is a balance. So too much stress on the body, even in the form of exercise, can be negative, mm-hmm. right? You People may have heard of overtraining, undertraining, um, <laughs> you know, exercising once per year is probably not enough. <laughs> Ex- exercising once every other hour is probably too much, right? Depending on what your definition of exercise is. But um, that same kind of pattern plays out in other facets of life as well. And exercise or any other type of stress doesn't exist in a vacuum in your life. So what we find is that even people who are into exercising, that's like one of the main ways people get into HRV because HRV can help you know if you should push a little harder, train a little harder today, or maybe take a lighter day or even an off day because of your body's ability to handle more stress that day. Well, exercise isn't the only variable there, right? So you have stress from work Mm -hmm. or from your job or travel. One for me, airplane travel, especially across time zones, (laughs) um, has a huge impact on me. And some of our professional sports teams that use our app, that was one of the main things that they found actually impacted their athletes was even though these are elite athletes competing on the world stage, it was actually the flight to the to the competition that had the biggest impact on the athletes over all of the training and other preparation and everything as an acute event, right? And so then they were able to develop strategies around, okay, well, when we have to fly from Europe to Asia to go to a competition, you know, do we arrive early and take a few days to recover? Or do we arrive like right before the competition and just do it so that our bodies haven't had that kind of shock of change in time zone, things Mm -hmm. like that. So they can devise strategies that work for their athletes. Um, But this is the the examples of what we find from people is that uh, sleep being the number one recovery tool in your toolkit. Mm -hmm. Small changes in sleep quality have a huge impact on your recovery, your energy levels, your motivation, and your exercise. And you can see those as changes in your HRV first. And so sleep quality means you don't have to even change the number of hours you're sleeping. You can actually increase the quality of those hours uh, through various strategies. Mm -hmm. So that's a big one. Alcohol consumption. Um, People use alcohol to relax, to enjoy social scenarios, or uh, sometimes to go to sleep. And uh, it's got pros and cons uh, for using it in those different ways. Mm -hmm. And um, people have different thresholds, too, when alcohol goes quickly from being potentially positive to uh, definitely negative um, on the body. And people use HRV to kind of understand their thresholds a little bit. Maybe staying under that two drinks in an evening uh, provides the social benefits you're looking for without providing too negative of the physical impact on your body. And we've had other people, uh, that's actually the second most uh, impactful thing on the professional athletes is the alcohol consumption Mm -hmm. uh, after the travel. And so people will find, wow, okay, if I go over that two drinks, and again, two is just an example for most people, could be three for you, could be less. The residual effects last for days. And so you're talking about three, four days later before you actually come back to baseline. And so knowing that, even if you have a normal work schedule Monday to Friday and you go out Friday night thinking I have the whole weekend to recover, but you see that by Monday morning you're still kind of struggling to recover and Monday is typically the most stressful day of the week for people who have kind of normal jobs, you know, you're kind of compounding stress on that Monday and making it harder to make good choices like not eating the donuts in the break room Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So uh, that's another thing that people use HRV for is to measure willpower and motivation. Mm -hmm. So when you wake up, if you're kind of in a depleted state, you're less likely to make good choices that day. This is how it plays out too and why uh, HRV is starting to be used in business and finance and in the day trading 
and financial trading I w- arenas. I wanted to ask you about this because I've heard of hedge funds using it to allocate capital to traders. And it, it was an article from a couple of years back, but I, I'm, I can't remember the name of the fund, but it's pretty crazy, right? It is. It's crazy. So this kind of... It kind of makes sense if you think about it this way, like if you're fatigued, you tend to not respond as well to stress and you tend to make more impulsive decisions and things like that. And so HRV kind of gives you an indication of fatigue. And if you start to get into those arenas where you're talking about hedge funds and financial day traders, well, those are kind of cognitive athletes, right? Mm -hmm. The things that they do are day to day is they're making lots and lots of stressful decisions that have a lot of moving parts and a lot of consequences that are immediate if they make the wrong decision. And so they're the athletes of the cognitive world. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool because then you can also measure the output of their decisions really easily. Right. So, so HRV in the morning or HRV baseline has been correlated with better profit and loss for trading. And uh, I actually have a podcast coming out on ours uh, where we interviewed somebody over in London who uses HRV actively with day traders and uh, talks about some of his experience uh, working hands-on with those people. Interesting. I I would love to, if you can provide the link, I'll put in the show notes because this this is something that I'm fascinated by. I've always suspected it. And, but now I'm kind of implementing my own life when I trade, but also seeing it in some clients too, in terms of just decision making. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you want to make good decisions when there's a lot of uh, risk and uh, consequences on the line, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep, that's another area people use it. But that same concept, just like when we look at athletes who train a lot, and that translates back to us on decisions we can make with our kind of normal people exercise for people like me and others. The same kind of goes for these cognitive athletes and then our cognitive decisions as more normal people in the cognitive realm. And, you know, that translates to, okay, willpower uh, in confrontations, like avoiding confrontations or handling them well, or uh, the break room, like I mentioned earlier. If you're trying to maintain or lose weight and there's always snacks in the break room, well, on a day when your HRV is elevated and you're uh, really refreshed and feeling kind of well-rested and motivated, you know, intuitively people can relate to this. It's probably a little easier to avoid taking those donuts or whatever is in the break room. But on days when you're kind of fatigued, you're kind of stressed out, you're not feeling well, um, it's a lot harder to avoid those temptations. And the nice thing is if you're measuring HRV first thing in the morning, you get a measurable kind of warning sign uh, before you even go to work where those temptations are. And you can say, okay, look, I know I'm a little depleted today, so I'm going to bring, you know, a little snack of my own that's going to be a little less harmful and maybe make sure to drink extra water so I'm hydrated and then I'm just going to avoid the break room. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so you can have little strategies like that that are related to your goals that help you make better decisions or help you make better decisions given your current situation. Beautiful. Jason, this is amazing and super informative. So thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, Before we get into the final four questions, and I just want to transition into those, I want to say thank you personally, because the Elite HRV app was my foray into HRV. And then of course, your course. And now we use it with our clients as well. And it's It's been an incredible experience. So thank you for making it easy to understand. And, you know, I just want to acknowledge you for taking what is a complex topic and making it very easy for a person to action it every single morning. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's I have to say thanks as well to everybody listening and all the cool feedback that we get. And I feel very lucky to have uh, discovered HRV when I did didn't invent it, but discovered it for myself and then be able to have the kind of knowledge and experience to build tech on top of it. But then the community that kind of sprung up around us and started giving us so much feedback and pointing us towards research has been phenomenal. And we couldn't have done it without all these people. 
Um, HRV attracts cool people. I got to say, I, yeah. it's, it's, it's a great community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's, let's kick things off with the final four questions and just say, and you may be biased to this one. What is one area where you think people should pay more attention when it comes to improving their own performance? Physical performance? Uh, you can, let's go mental actually. We can go both if you want. Yeah. Um, so I would say probably the number one way to improve mental performance is to focus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that may be a cop-out answer, but uh, it's basically to avoid distractions, reduce distractions, um, stay focused. Do you have a strategy that you use? Because you're running a business, right? It's a very cognitively driven thing. Do you have a strategy that you use to avoid distraction? Uh, yeah, definitely is uh, removing it completely. So, um, like, I take social media off my off of my phone, and I mute notifications. I, I use airplane mode a lot um, on my phone. So, the phone is obviously one of the number one sources of distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I try to do too is I don't try to do excessive amounts of planning. Mm-hmm. I try to have a plan in mind, but not excessively. And then, but I do keep a little to-do list. And the main reason why is so that when I think of something, I just put it there and then I, then I can get it out of my head. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, some people say there's also, it's good to keep a do not do list, yeah, (laughs) which also helps you kind of say like, let's not do these things. And when you're tempted to do them, they're like, nope, they're, it's on my not do list. Um, but for me, having that to-do list, I don't even end up doing all the things on it. It's just getting it out of my head so that I can focus on the things that I know today are important to me. So yeah, that's a, that's a huge one for me. Uh, we have enough work for probably 10 times as many people as work at Elite HRV. Mm-hmm. So this is something we deal with on a daily basis. Is um, We're very grateful to have that many opportunities, but it's it's hard to juggle and basically saying no a lot is another good uh, strategy to remaining focused if you want to like zoom out from business a little let's see that i personally in college struggled with the freedom of college a little bit mm-hmm. and uh at the time got really into video gaming uh much to the detriment of almost the rest of my life and i had to cold turkey, get rid of all of that. So got rid of all of my video games, got rid of everything um, and changed roommates and uh, all of that just removed all of that temptation from my life, cold turkey, even though I really enjoyed it and I was pretty much addicted to it, removing it all, getting it all out of the way really helped me focus. And then college ended up being a successful journey for me. Um, but it would not have been if I had tried to do it in moderation or uh, try to you know, juggle it at the same time and just try to willpower my way through it. Um, So the other thing about that is not relying too heavily on willpower Mm -hmm. because willpower is very fickle and it's a finite resource. And so the days that you don't have all the willpower that you wish you had on your best days, what are you going to do on those days if you're just uh, relying upon willpower, right? Yeah. Making some decisions that make your life easier, create a few systems, get those temptations out of your way, say no to a lot of stuff, and focus, Mm -hmm. and cool things happen. (laughs) Well, you crushed the answer to my second question, which is how do you enhance focus, but let's, let's go into the third one then. What book has significantly impacted your life and how you show up to perform in your own life? Um, so, uh, there's a book called thinking fast and slow by Daniel Kahneman. Is that what? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yep. That's a great book. I recommend pretty much everyone read and it's, it's, you know, I'm still trying to work how to eloquently summarize such a, a deep book that can apply to so many areas of your life, Mm -hmm. but it kind of breaks down decision-making in a way that helps you understand why you make bad decisions on impulse sometimes and what strategies you can implement to help yourself make good decisions more automatically without having to think through it so much. And again, that kind of comes back to the whole willpower thing is it uh, helps you understand why you can't just rely on willpowering your way through everything. 
um, because your body has system one uh, decision making that's a little bit more automatic and not so much in your control all the time. Mm-hmm. But you, it's trainable. So, anyways, that's a. I don't know if that answered the question as much as what book as as how you use it. But uh, if it, I mean, if it helps you, that's that's amazing. Where can people find out more about you? EliteHRV.com. So the app's free. Uh, we've got our other products listed there. We have online courses, our, our finger sensor. Um, you've got me. Uh, you can look me up on social media, Jason Moore, and maybe HRV. Put that in your search too because there's a lot of Jason Moores out there. But I'm not very active on social media, so apologies if I don't respond. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can find me at Elite HRV, and there's a lot of uh, new things that we're launching there, so there'll be some fun stuff to check out. Excellent. The show notes for this one can be found at decodingsuperhuman.com slash EliteHRV. Jason, thank you so much for joining. This has been absolutely amazing. Yeah, I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for reaching out, uh, and you know, I love the work that you're doing, Boomer, so Very much appreciate it. Hopefully it helps people. And to all the superhumans out there listening, have an absolutely epic day. Superhumans, before you go, two asks from me. Number one, if you can head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and just give us a five-star rating, it really helps get the word out. Number two, if you can give us a little feedback, send us an email at podcast at decodingsuperhuman.com. Those of you that have actually taken advantage of this, know that I read and respond to each one. Thank you so much for listening and have an absolutely epic day. Mm